Welcome to Tauri's Community Church. We hope this talk helps you in figuring it out because we believe that when people discover truth and love, they are able to face life in a different kind of way and come alive. If this talk is relevant for you and you wish to discover more, please head over to tauraisecommunitychurch.com.au forward slash services. And with that, we hope you enjoy today's talk. Hey, it's uh, great to be back here again, as always. And um, John has started off this series going through uh, the book of Philippians, and it's all about um, beating the winter blues. Did you know that this time of year, every year, uh, since we've started, and for 27 years that we've started, attendance on a Sunday always plunges. And it's generally the second Sunday in August that we actually have our lowest Sunday for the year. I know that because once, quite, quite a few years ago, I was so despondent when I looked, at, uh, uh, looked out and there was hardly anyone there and I thought, oh, what's going on? And, and I wrote a letter of encouragement to the, the congregation. When I say encouragement, like, get in here, get back here. And, um, and I dated it and I filed it. And then I found that there was a letter which I'd written saying nearly the same things on exactly the same date the year before. And so it was a trend. But hey, everyone gets uh, the winter blues to one degree or another. We've got the school holidays here at the moment, and so people are away, which is cool. And people uh, get a bit down, they lack energy. And I think for me, my, my spirits start picking up a bit as soon as I can smell cut grass in spring. And for me, that's a sign that uh, energy and life are coming back and new life is coming back. So this series that we're doing, it's all about beating the winter blues, which means that you've got no excuses whatsoever for not being here, because if you're listening to this series, no, I'm only kidding. But uh, it's, it's, we're taking lessons from the Apostle Paul in, um, from the book of Philippians about how to beat the winter blues. Now, Philippians is such a beautiful book, and as Jono uh, said the other week, it was a book that he actually wrote whilst he was in in jail and yet it's such a positive book such a, a positive letter that he actually wrote now today we're going to be looking at uh, the humble path to happiness and i think if, if we ask most people what it takes to be happy generally we'll, we'll we'll describe our circumstances perhaps we might describe a happy marriage uh, which is fair enough uh, or it might describe uh, a good job or harmony in the workplace or it might, uh, we might describe uh, having more money and a better lifestyle, or we might describe uh, having a nice home. They're, they're different things which are trigger points for happiness for most people. But really, when it comes down to it, uh, the, the, the key issue about getting, having happiness is about our relationships and having harmony in our relationships. Like I mentioned, uh, enjoying your work. What's the number one determinant as to whether you enjoy your work or not? It's probably the, the, whether you've got harmony in the workplace, which is even greater, of greater importance than the work that you're actually doing. You know, if you're in with a good team of people and you, uh, you're enjoying your work, that, you take that home with you. But then when you go home, if you've got conflict at home, you probably want to go back to work again. Uh, because there's nothing that destroys our harmony and our happiness uh, more than having conflict, is there? Now, there's a proverb, Proverb 13.10, that says that um, where there is conflict, there is pride. And I'll put it to you that at the centre of relationship breakdowns, you pretty well always find pride. And pride, when it comes down to it, pride is at the root of all sin. Uh, it leads us to think that we know better, uh, I know better than you, and I know better than God. And that's why we rebel against God, because it's out of a sense of pride, where we think we know better than God and we go our own way and walk into all kinds of sins. But the opposite of pride is humility. And in, in James chapter 4, verse 6, uh, it says this, it says, God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. Now, I've got to ask you a question here. Which side of the equation would you prefer to be on? Uh, God opposing you or God giving grace to you? It's a no-brainer, really, isn't it? It's a no-brainer. You know, we, we know if we, if we set out on living a, a life that is characterised by pride, you know, we're going to come undone. We're going to find that, uh, that we go, go get hit into obstacle after obstacle after obstacle. You know, it says that God will come after you. But not only that, pride will destroy our relationships. 
and our, our life will not be smooth sailing if, if um, we just have train wrecks of relationships, one after the other after the other. The passage says that God gives grace to the humble. What does that mean? Well, you know, grace is a gift, isn't it? And grace can mean different things, but ultimately grace means it's a gift that we don't deserve, that is given to us. And I think it's a grace uh, to, to have the ability to forgive those people that it's hard to forgive. It's, it's the, grace, uh, the grace to move on uh, in our thinking and in our mind from the things that we get stuck on. It's a grace to provide the power to us to actually to go and reconcile. It's the grace to feel la uh, loved and valued. It's the grace to have a healthy identity. You know, God gives grace to the humble. I think this passage is saying is that humility positions ourselves to receive God's favour. In the Beatitudes in the Sermon on the Mount, uh, in, in Matthew chapter 5, verse 5, Jesus said this about humility. He says, God blesses those who are humble or meek, for they will inherit the whole earth. And again, I think he's saying here that when, when we're humble, when we're meek, when we have that kind of attitude, the whole world opens up to us. But when we're pride and we're reaching out, when we're proud and we're reaching out for things to take and bring to ourselves, it's like it's almost a contradiction because the world closes down and the doorways that are in front of us close down. It's only those doorways that we can push ourselves through, push through ourselves um, that, that open up to us. But it's not the, the doorways that God opens up to us. The Apostle Paul wrote in his letter to the Philippians that humility is the key to achieving happiness because you need harmony in your relationships if you are to truly find happiness. So you've got this issue of humility will bring harmony and harmony will bring happiness in our relationships. You got that? So in chapter 2 of Philippians, Paul wrote... Um, this. We're going to be looking at Philippians chapter one, uh, chapter 2, verses 1 to 11 today. And uh, so if you've got your, your Bibles on your phones or with you, you're welcome to actually uh, turn it up and have a look. It's such a, such, a beautiful, um, such a beautiful passage that we have here. It says, Therefore, if you have any encouragement from being united with Christ, if any comfort from his love, if any common sharing in the spirit, if any tenderness and compassion, then make my joy complete by being like-minded, having the same love, being one in spirit and, one, and of one mind or of one purpose. That's what that last bit is actually about, one purpose. Some translations have it as purpose here. Friends, this is God's model for intimacy and harmony in our relationships. It speaks of four kinds of harmony uh, or intimacy that God wants us to have in all of our relationships, in our relationship with him, but also in our relationship with each other and in our marital relationships as well. You know, first of all, there's intellectual harmony, uh, where we're, we're of the same mind, we're united in our thinking and, and having the same understanding. You know, if you're a husband and a wife or if you're dating, it's very, very hard to have a close relationship if you, your thinking is leading you in two different ways, isn't it? And then, then we have uh, emotional harmony, where we're united at an emotional level, where there's a chemistry, a brotherly love that you share with each other. And then we've got the spiritual harmony, uh, where, there's a, where, where we're united in faith. We're on the same page in terms of our faith, uh, having similar be beliefs and faith practices. This doesn't mean that we're clones of each other. There's still room for individualisation and our uniqueness of our identity, but rather we're on the same path and, and any, any differences that we have are like uh, the different, uh, side, uh, different parts of a, a patchwork quilt where we're still waking up the same whole but there are individual colours that are there. And then we've got the, um, the directional harmony where we're heading in the same direction together. We want the same things out of life and faith and marriage and relationships. Each one of these four kinds of intimacy paints a picture of harmony where we're united and on the one page without any division, without any, any division that which will cause conflict. You know, the word division means two visions. It means division. And when we have different 
different visions for our life but will ultimately draw apart rather than having that unity that Paul is talking about here where he wants us to draw back together. So the next verse explains what is necessary if we're to have this kind of harmony. And the verse highlights two kinds of traps that it's so easy to fall, fall into. Uh, and these, these traps, if you like, they'll destroy our harmony when they happen. And it goes on, the passage says, do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Now, what, do, what does this actually mean? Well, self, um, selfish ambition is when I put my own desires before anyone else, when it's all about me and what I want. You know, when we do this, we tend to manipulate people or bulldoze people. And neither of those pathways, neither of those are pathways to having harmony in our relationships. And again, it comes out of a sense of pride because if I'm going to manipulate someone or bulldoze someone, it's because I, I, I want my own needs being met. And blow you, I'm just going out after self. And it's such a self-centeredness. Some of you have encountered situations in a workplace that have been tainted by a person's selfish ambition where their desires are all about them and getting what they want. Has anyone here ever encountered that? Yeah. <laughs> it's toxic, isn't it? It's really, really toxic when that, that happens. This lack of humility causes disharmony because it breaks unity. And I've seen it where a, a board becomes dysfunctional because there is one person who makes decisions for their own sake uh, rather than for the sake of everyone, and they're always out for self. And unless the person leading that board is really strong about bringing those people uh, into line and, and, and uh, making sure that the board is considering what is best for all, it becomes a toxic situation when that happens. And it becomes a very, very hard situation. Uh, and will make the board dysfunctional. But it's not just on boards or in the workplace that we see it. Sometimes we see it in families as well, where there might be one family member who's, perhaps it might be your brother or sister even, uh, who only sees issues from their perspective. And, and they're selfish in the outcomes that they push for. What does that do to your family when that happens? What does it do? It makes it impossible, nearly impossible, to have a decent conversation with them. Uh, because in particular when this issue comes up time and time again, whatever it might be, it's like the elephant in the room. And if, if, one of the, if your family member is just wanting that, wanting that, wanting that, wanting that, wanting that, wanting their own way, it just makes it impossible to have a decent relationship with them. Sadly, this kind of attitude uh, splits families. It also uh, splits clubs. It, it split, pl splits sporting clubs. And it will split churches. You know, I recently heard of a, a very, very well-known pastor on the mainland of a large church, a very large church, who's got a strong prophetic gift. And disgustingly, I, I, and it fits unfortunately with other things that I've, I know of this pastor, I heard him prophesy over a group of girls recently, but say for the prophecies to come true, you've got to come and join my church and leave your church, the church that you're currently in. Now, what's behind all of this? It's selfish ambition. It is absolutely disgusting. That is total and utter spiritual abuse when something like that happens. But, you know, we can easily be into emotional abuse just because of our, spirit, our, um, our selfish ambition as well with our family members, with our workmates. We can easily become, so easily become abusive because what I want, if I've got selfish ambition is over and above what you want, and I don't really care what you want. And it just sets, sets us up for win-lose situations all the time, doesn't it? Selfish ambition breaks down any kind of relationships because it makes it impossible to have a win-win. It always leads to a win-lose scenario. Now, the other to toxic trap <coughs> that destroys harmony in relationships is vain conceit. Um, vain conceit is when we're excessively proud of our own appearance and achievements. It manifests when I think I'm always right, I want to prove how good I am. So as opposed to selfish ambition where it's all about getting it for me, vain conceit is about proving, proving who I am, proving that I'm right, proving that I'm better than you. Vain conceit leads to a person being not teachable 
Uh, because they're always right, we've resolved that you can't have a good conversation with them. There's no room for a different opinion. I, I, I just reflect back to a conversation I had with someone, not in the church here, but recently, and, and I presented a perspective. Um, and we're talking about an issue, and I presented a perspective, and this other person just tried to come in and ride totally over my perspective and say, well, I was wrong, 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 without realising that there were rooms for different perspectives. Because just like a diamond that has many different uh, sides to it, this particular issue was complex and uh, it depended on how a person was perceiving it and, and where, I guess, which, where you were when you were perceiving it. But in this person's mind, there's no room for another opinion other than their opinion. You can probably guess if the conversation um, it didn't flourish it didn't go really well. It could have easily got to, um, no, you're wrong, you're wrong, you're wrong. I wasn't interested in going down that pathway. Um, it, it makes it really hard when you've got someone in a relationship and they're just dogmatic about being right and thinking that you're wrong. You have to, have to understand or you have to come around to my way of thinking. Now, we have to be countercultural. If we're to be falling into, if we're going to avoid falling into these two traps of selfing, selfish ambition and vain conceit, and that's because our culture celebrates these things. Our culture celebrates those people who really go for it and get what they want. Now, ambition isn't bad, but can be godly ambition as well. There can be ambition which benefits so many people, but when it's selfish ambition, that's the bad thing. That's not so good. And vain conceit, well, don't we celebrate the movie stars and the sports stars who think they're, they're just so good, they're so good. We, when it comes down to it, we, we often celebrate narcissistic people in our culture because they, they put it up there saying, I am so good, I am so good. <laughs> Some of us uh, know a very, very, uh, quite a famous person uh, and on the way to fame and building that brand of a name, this, this person would continually be late for aircraft uh, so that they would be paging this person's name through the, uh, through the terminal. And he thought that was a, a very legitimate way of getting his name known and building the brand. I think there's a fair degree of vain conceit in that, to be honest. So if we want to have a look at whether you know, someone has vain conceit, well, how do we know that? Well, I'd say have a look at your Facebook pages. <laughs> Um, have a look at the social media. Have a look at, at what you're all the time broadcasting out there. What's the message on Instagram that you're all the time putting out there? And if you need to take a humility check in relation to yourself, do so. If you need to, to make some adjustments about the message that you're putting out there all the time, do so. Because selfish ambition and vain conceit, they don't do anyone any favours. You know... An absence of selfish ambition is a beautiful thing. Uh, it frees people up to the people God intended them to be. No, no, um, uh, we are so blessed as a church, we, we often receive anonymous donations into the bank account and there was one for nearly $8,000 uh, just during the week and uh, I wouldn't have a clue who it comes from, who it's come from. And this kind of thing is not unusual and I wish I knew who it came from so I could thank them but often it's just totally totally anonymous and um, I love that not just love receiving the money but I love the fact that people can be so generous and give with just, just sense of, such a sense of humility because it's not all about them it's not drawing attention to them and I think of Jesus in uh, when in the gospel of Matthew I think it is when he points to the, um, the Pharisees who were, were putting a coin into the jar and they were blowing a, a horn or blowing a trumpet. That's where the, the term blowing your own horn comes from. And that was just to, to get attention so that people could see uh, how good they were and what they were doing. What we're talking about here is the exact opposite of that. It's the exact opposite of that. It's a humility. Now, thankfully, Paul helps us here with three habits to help us Help you on the humble path to happiness. Um, you know, we can say, be humble, but yeah, what does that mean? Well, let's have a look at these three habits that come from a humble of attitude. 
So Paul goes on to, to say, rather in humility, value others above yourself. And I think this is saying, friends, give honour to others. Give honour to others. It's not always that easy to do. You see, humility doesn't mean that we think less of ourselves. Humility actually means that we think of ourselves less. And humility doesn't mean uh, pretending that we don't have any strengths. That's actually false humility. But humility means that we acknowledge our strengths, but we also acknowledge our weaknesses. It's both of them. You know, I, to be honest, I know what I'm really good at, but I also know what I'm really bad at, and I don't mind admitting it. There's a, lot, there's a, a long list of things that I'm really, really bad at. One of the things that I'm good at is being really focused on, on doing things to get results. But the flip side of that, one of the things that I'm really bad at is actually looking after myself. Um, looking after my fitness, my health, Sharon will be nodding away here at this, uh, because I got so focused on the outcome. So often our strengths have a flip side of a weakness. I don't mind admitting the weaknesses. I've got tons of other weaknesses. Uh, get me to do anything practical. And as Sharon will tell you, I'm practically useless. You know? So again, uh, that's another thing. Or what's another thing? Rep detail. I can do really good analytical detail if someone asks me to analyse something. But get me to do it tomorrow and for the next day and the next day. Repetitive detail. <laughs> Please, Lord, take my life away from me now. Um, uh, I, I'm really, really poor at that. But, you know, when you admit what you're really, really poor at, the good thing is that it's absolutely freeing because we don't have to put up a pretense that we're good at everything. And we can just say, yep, I suck at that. Yep, no good at that. But, yeah, I'm really good at that. And that's having a sane estimate of yourself as Scripture actually tells us to do. And that's not uh, humility, that's not being pr proud, it's just being, it's just saying it is what it is and thank you God for, for, for how you've made me, for the strengths and the weaknesses. So I think the other thing that this verse tells us to do is to give more honour to others than you give to yourself. And you can tell a humble person by the way that they encourage and give honour to others in particular their peers. One of the boards that I'm on, uh, there's a, uh, an incredible guy on that board, but there's an insecurity in that particular person where he can give great encouragement to someone who he sees as well in front of him. He can great, give great encouragement to someone he sees as well, beyond, well below them, but you'll never hear them give encouragement to the pe people at roughly the same level. It's almost like they think that uh, there is a, a limited amount of encouragement available in this world. And if I give that encouragement out, it will, um, uh, it will somehow run out. The pool of encouragement is not unlimited. It takes a very, very secure person to, to actually encourage and to give honour to people who are on the same level, as well as people above them, as well as people that are below them. You know, you can tell a selfish or a vain person by the way that they're not prepared to do this. They withhold honour. They withhold encouragement. The passage goes on to say, not looking to your own interests, but each of you to the interests of others. I think this passage is saying that uh, it, it takes humility and it grows humility by being interested in others. <clears throat> Did you know that the greatest gift that you can give to someone is your attention. A couple of reasons for that that come to my mind. One is because when I give you my attention or give someone my attention, it always takes time, doesn't it? I might be listening to a, converse, a long conversation where someone's talking about issues in their life and I give them my attention and it takes time and it's time that I'll never get back. And I think the second thing is that when I give someone my attention or when you give someone your attention... You know, what you'll find is happening is that you're actually taking your eyes off yourself. And that's such an important step in developing that habit of humility in your life if we're prepared to take our eyes and our focus off ourselves and put it onto someone else. What do you call someone who always talks about themselves? A bore. Is that right? What do you call about someone who asks you about yourself? interested, a good person. You know, for many years I worked with a friend and everyone would say about this person, oh, 
He's the loveliest person, absolutely incredible person. Isn't he a gem? And he is. And why do they say that? Because he's full of all the time asking you about you. He's drawing you into talking about yourself. And so he's not so much interested in talking about himself or trying to get, uh, you know, pump up himself in your eyes, but he's interested about you. And that draws you to people like this. And I think of my friend Jossie Chaco, and uh, Jossie, uh, he's a world leader of incredible stature. Um, but one of the things about Jossie is that he's got friends all over the world that he could just pick up the phone and, and talk to, and they'll respond to just so, so well, not because of who Jossie is, but because Jossie genuinely takes an interest in people. He's so open-hearted with people. When he meets people, he wants to know about them, he encourages them, um, he'll get back in touch with people. Uh, he, he's, he takes an interest in himself, in, the, in them. And it's an incredible gift, but it's a gift that we can all have. Now, if we don't take an interest in other people, we won't have many friends. Let's put it like that. If you actually want to have friends... You start by not, what, not receiving with what they'll give you, but in giving your attention to them, asking them questions, being interested, being engaged. You know, some people really aren't very good at small talk. And in many cases, that's because they aren't interested enough in other people to ask some questions. We can probably all do better in this area. It's probably an area that we can all grow in. The passage goes on to say, in your relationships with one another, have the same mindset of Jesus Christ. So this is saying that if we want to develop that habit of humility, we're to have, a, have, a, have Jesus' attitude to others. Okay, but what does that actually look like? Well, thankfully the passage goes on to describe that. <coughs> the first thing is don't demand what you think you deserve. The passage says about Jesus, who being of a very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing. He emptied himself. Hey, let, let's just think about this for a moment. <clears throat> we read about Jesus in scriptures and we see that he was a carpenter's son. We see that he lived a life which is um, a brilliant life, you know, really a brilliant life. Um, and it's easy just to leave it like that. But... When we really think who Jesus was, we see that the awesome majesty of who he was in the heavens, who he is in the heavens, the fact that he was prepared to put that off and come to earth to walk amongst us and to be like us. But his true identity, his true nature, whilst he was man, is also that fact that he was God. And this is just mind-blowing. We sang about that in that, that last song, uh, song just before, uh, uh, just a little while ago, about who he is, his glory, his majesty. Yesterday I was doing my soaping, my journaling on scripture in, in Hebrews chapter 1. You know, I, I saw this passage and I journaled on this. The sun is the radiance of God's glory. You think about that. The sun reflects the glory of God. We look at the sun, look at Jesus. And we see a reflection of the glory of God. And he's the exact representation of his being, sustaining all things by his powerful word. Every breath we take, every step we take, all we are, who we are, is sustained by Jesus. Without his, without his powerful intervention, we would be nothing. We would have nothing. This is Jesus. This is the Son of Man. This is the most majestic being that has ever existed. And yet the passage says that he emptied himself. He emptied himself. He did not consider equality with God, which he had, something to be used <coughs> to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing. Friends, that is incredible, incredible humility. And it's why we should worship him. 
We're not just worshipping a carpenter or a carpenter's son. We're not just worshipping a human being who trod on this earth about 2,000 years ago. We're worshipping the divine. We're worshipping the one who spoke the heavens and the earth into existence. But yet when he came to earth, that wasn't on his business card. He didn't say, you don't really know who I am. Don't you know who I am? I am so important. That wasn't him at all. And friends, there is such a lesson for that in with us. You see, Jesus demonstrated what true servant leadership should look like. And the further up the ladder we climb, the less we should rely upon that position to define our worth and prove us with an identity. And I think of, I've got so many friends who, who show such great humility. And um, there are people in this room uh, most weeks who are absolute leaders in their fields or uh, you would never know what they've actually achieved. There are people here who have a humility just not to go and put it on the business card and go and tell everyone. I'm thinking of my friend John De Bruin down at Penguin at the moment too. And um, John and Louisa planted a church down at Penguin out of here about 14 years ago. Now, John is on the uh, board of the Taz Chamber of Commerce and Industry. He, he runs a huge company with three or four major components. He's probably got 180 trucks. Every time you look at De Bruins Transport on a truck as you go past, think of my friend John. He's got three ships, of, uh, one of which is 42 metres long. Um, he's got a massive, massive uh, cool storage, um, to totally computerised, which is much bigger than this whole building here. All of these things that he's got. And yet, where will you find him after church on a Sunday? You'll find him there cooking sausages and just chatting to people. Um, whether they be unemployed people or corporate people or teenagers or what, you'd have no idea who John was or, or what, he, he, what he had behind him, what he'd accomplished. You'd have no idea of the complexity of the decisions that he was making every day, every week. You'd have no idea of the pressures because when you're just across the barbecue from him, it's just John. Simple as that. I think he empties himself of his self-importance. I think he's an example, as others in this room are too. He's an example for us all about how we can actually have a Christ-like attitude and behaviour in terms of our identity. Friends, I've got to tell you, the most successful people I know are the people who don't point to their own success. They would rather point to the success of others. I like people like that. And the next thing we have to do about having an attitude, attitude like Jesus is to look for ways in which he can serve. I just mentioned with John, you know, one of the ways in which he serves. He serves in so many other ways. The passage says, by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness. That's what Jesus did. In, in the Gospel of Luke, it says the Son of Man came not to serve, but to be, not to be served, but to serve and give his life as a ransom for many. See, at the very heart of humility, out of the very heart of humility, you'll see a servant attitude coming. I, I like the story of, I, I don't know if anyone's ever heard of Chick-fil-A in the United States. Yeah, so it's a, it's a, a fast food um, uh, network across the United States is probably valued at about, <coughs> about $5 billion. It's out really quickly and it doesn't sound like much. But um, uh, some inc incredible Christians who actually own, uh, a Christian family owns and runs that. Now the CEO of that is a guy by the name of Dan Caffey. And I heard the story that uh, they were building a new Chick-fil-A building and Dan and took one of his friends along because they wanted to have a look, look at the building. And they went and checked it out. It was a bit of a work site, so it got a bit dirty there. And they went across the road then uh, to another uh, chain of fast food. So one of their competitors, right? One of Chick-fil-A's competitors. And uh, Dan and, and his friend went into the, uh, the restrooms just to clean themselves up. And then the friend saw what Dan did. He got all of his paper towels and wet them. And then he was there cleaning around the... Um, the, the restroom, cleaning the sink, cleaning around the mirror, cleaning, cleaning, cleaning. And the, the friend asked Dan, what are you doing? He said, well, he said, one of the core values of our company is that we're here to serve. 
not just our own needs, but we're here to serve, whether it's ourselves or our competitors. <laughs> and that's what he did in his competitor. He, he just, no one except his friend would have known about it. But it, he cleaned their restroom for them and then went out and had lunch in the competitor's lounge. And the, people, the competitor would have had no idea that the CEO of uh, Chick-fil-A had just done this for them. Wow. People wouldn't have seen, but God saw. And people won't see your acts of service, most of your acts of service, but God will. He will see your acts of service. And if we're to have Christ-like attitude, we're to serve. We're to serve in the little things and the unseen things as well as the things that people might be able to see us doing. But even the things that we're, people see us doing, it's not for us to draw attention to ourselves because our motive changes. A humble person will serve out of an attitude of love and humility. And that is exactly what Christ modelled to us. You know, so that's being a servant. Being a servant means that we pick up rubbish instead of walking by. A servant serves without wanting to be served. A servant says, how can I serve you? How can I serve you? You know, it's um, with Exponential Australia, um, and I've mentioned a little bit about this, but um, I've found open door after open door after open door amongst um, Christian leaders all around this country. You know, I've, I've spoken to probably about 100 of them. Um, leaders of denominations and networks and ministries. And my attitude, the attitude which, um, which I try and take is, how can I serve you? And because that's the attitude which I go to them, not, not wanting something from them, not going to them and saying, hey guys, I, I really want you to support what I'm doing, but going in with the attitude of, how can I serve you? And this is what we're doing. What are you doing? And this is what we're doing. I think that's, that's one of the keys to opening the doors. Now, I'm not just doing it because to try and manipulate my way into having the doors open, but rather, hopefully, it's my, my, my attitude uh, which is coming across, the fact that I actually want to serve. Trust me, I'm not perfect in this. Uh, Sharon can tell you that, probably tell you many occasions where she's much more willing to serve than I am, much, more, uh, much quicker to serve than I am. But it's a growth thing for me, just like it's a growth thing for all of us, isn't it? Eh? So if we want to make new friends, serve them. Bless them. The more people that you serve, the more important that you become. Now the last point. Do what is right, even when it comes with a price. Now, Jesus was obedient to death, even death on a cross. In Hebrews chapter 12, it says that, it says that um, for the joy that was before him, he endured the cross. He knew what had to be done, but there was a price to be paid. Now, if we have the mindset of Jesus, <clears throat> we'll do what is right, even when it comes at a price. And that can be hard. Sometimes it means extending to grace to someone who's hurt us, or it might mean forgiving them, when we don't really want to forgive them. It might mean that um, we're here to do an act of kindness, which costs time, it costs money, it costs our own comfort at times, perhaps. But love always costs. Love always comes at a price. That's the thing, isn't it? If we love and there's no cost, is it really love? Is it really love if there's no price involved? It's very easy to, uh, to, to say, uh, to, to talk about the, the love that you have for a friend. But what happens when that friend becomes ugly because of life circumstances or a different opinion or a pain that they've got? Can we still love them in the ugly times as well? See, love isn't just for the easy times. Love is tested by the price that we're prepared to pay. Jesus gave his life for us by dying on the cross to pay for the price for our sins. My goodness, that demonstrates a love, doesn't it? The fact that <clears throat> we can go through our life thumbing up our nose at, at, at Jesus. 
and saying, yeah, I know you really want me to do this, but I want to go and do this instead. And yet Jesus was still prepared to pay the price for us by dying, by loving us, even when we mightn't love him back. I think it's a fair exchange. Jesus actually asks for you to give him your life. He died for us. And he wants us to die to ourselves and hand our lives to him and to trust him to lead us, to trust him to, to take us on a journey for life, through life where he, he's in the driver's seat, not just us. But if pride gets in the way, there's no way that we'll ever do that because pride says, I know best. But humility actually says, Jesus, you know best. Will you do this? Here's my life. Will you take it? And if we do that, he'll transform your life. You know, the scripture talks about us being conformed into his image, bit by bit, glory by glory, into the, life of Christ, into the image of Christ. But God doesn't force that, that transformation upon us. It only comes as we humble ourselves and open our hearts, open our lives more and more to his love, to his life, to his leadership, to his lordship in our lives. And we place our life in his hands. And as we, we follow him, as we invite the Holy Spirit to come flooding into us with his power and his presence and his beauty, we find that our, our whole life gets changed glory by glory into the likeness of Jesus. We become more like Jesus. Every day, each of us, our, you, Emma, you, me, each of us, should be going further and further along on that journey of actually becoming more Christ-like. And that's my prayer for everyone here. Thanks, Kate, you can come up. That's my prayer for everyone here, the fact that we will truly hand our lives over to Jesus and that we will become the humble servants that he wants us to be, the humble servant that he modelled to us. Now, this passage in, in Philippians, it finishes off. And it's showing how this kind of humility and harmony that comes into our lives, how it will be rewarded. You see, Jesus lived a life of humility and harmony that God rewarded him for. Therefore, God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name. But at the name of Jesus, every knee shall bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth. And every tongue acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Friends, will you acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord? Will you acknowledge that today? Perhaps some of you, perhaps many of you, most of you, have acknowledged that, that ages ago or in more recent times. But I don't think this is just something that we acknowledge once. And we said, oh, yeah, yeah, I did that 50 years ago. This is a living thing for us to do each and every day. If we, want to, to, if we want to truly walk the life that Jesus has for us, if we want to become the humble servant that Jesus modeled, if we want to have an attitude like Christ, it involves daily surrender. And there might be some of, the, some of you here today who have never actually taken this step before. Can I encourage you to do this? Because let me put it this way. Living our life apart from Christ is lonely and it does not work. We'll stumble along from, from incident to incident. We'll, we'll, we'll go looking for, for purpose and meaning and pleasure and happiness in different ways. But ultimately, there's only one way that we can find and live the life that Christ has for us. And that is his way, not my way. And it takes humility to do that. Your humility to say, Jesus, take my life, it's yours. 
Jesus, take my life. I want to follow you. Can we all stand, please, and I'll pray to finish it. Holy Father, I thank you and praise you that you are such an amazing God. And Jesus, thank you for coming and emptying yourself and walking on this earth as a human like us. Thank you that you didn't come with a chariot and, and golden robes and crowns on your head, but you came and you walked in the dust like us. Thank you that you died for us. Thank you that you, you showed us the way of humility and it's a way for us. Lord, I just pledged my life again to you. You gave your life for me. I give my life for you. And Lord, I think there are many people here today who are saying amen to that. Who are saying that, I want to give you my life afresh, Jesus. I need you. I need you as my Lord. I need you as my Savior. Will you take my life? Will you give me an attitude like yours? Will you bring harmony into my relationships? Will you do a work of deep humility in my life? As Paul said, to make my joy complete by being one heart, one mind, one spirit, and one purpose. Lord, we thank you. And we ask that through your Holy Spirit, you'll come and touch us afresh. You'll saturate us with your presence. You'll fill us afresh. And you'll infuse us with the joy that you have for us. In Jesus' name we pray. Thank you so much for joining us. We really hope you enjoyed this talk. We've created a free resource for this series, which is available for you over at towerracecommunitychurch.com.au forward slash services. You'll find links in the description. We are praying for you. Have a great week.